Listening to the iZombie podcast with Robin and Steph, a fan podcast about the CW show iZombie. My name is Robin, and I am so hungry for brain poutine. Ooh. Uh, <laughs> my name is Stephanie, and Robin, I think you're cruising for a bruising. Put up your dukes. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go, me bag. Uh, yes, also, we have a guest with us tonight. Uh, we have a Goonstruck writer and friend of the pod, uh, four times in the show. Yep. Bob Dearden. That uh, must be a record. I hope that's a record. Is that a record? Yes, yeah. most definitely. <laughs> Perfect. I'm, I'm the Alec Baldwin of the iZombie podcast. <laughs> yes, uh, we'll get you fitted for your jacket after uh, your next uh, appearance. <laughs> so you're here to discuss the episode with us tonight and uh, maybe get some questions from the fans? Yeah, I'm uh, appropriately terrified. Before we get started, I just want to mention we're a member of the DC TV Talk Network. Check out DC TV Talk for all your DC TV podcasting needs. That's DCTVTalk.com. Yeah, they're uh, actually responsible for our live show tonight, so we'd like to thank uh, our friends at DC TV Talk. We can get right into the discussion of uh, episode uh, 4.5, Goonstruck, yeah. directed by Joaquin Cedillo, uh, first time my zombie director. Uh, it is, but uh, he's a, a longtime um, friend and associate, our uh, co-creators, Rob and Diane, back in Ron Kamara's days. If I, if I have my information right, he spent, uh, he was there for season one, and then at, at some point toward the end of season, Ron Kamara was promoted to uh, director of photography. And uh, carried out that function for the rest of that series. And I, I think Rob's been trying to get him on to direct since season one. Uh, this is just the first time timing's worked out. And he was absolutely phenomenal. Not, not a guy who comes from an extensive background of working in uh, filmed television about hockey. But uh, <laughs> I think did a fantastic job, not only with, uh, you know, with that on ice montage, but with, uh, with the whole thing. Oh, and I should also mention, uh, sorry, uh, Steph, I watched Goon for the first time. You uh, had me watch it, and I, uh, yeah, I definitely checked it out last night. It was it was a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, because Robin is not a sports guy. Is that right? Yeah, and, the, and me living in the South, well, I'm not a sports person either, and living in the South, hockey is not big down here, right. as you can imagine. So we have to, you know, get our information from movies. Yeah, well, uh, Goon is. Uh, I hope you guys both enjoyed it. That's one of my favorites. Oh, I love oh, yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, it was fun. an obvious nature uh, for some of the stuff that we did as well, along with uh, the classic movie of that type, Slapshot. Yeah, mm-hmm. I saw that a few years ago. Yeah, good movie. Why don't we get into the actual episode? Um, let's talk about. Uh, um, well, I divided it into two. Uh, I have the case and the brain. And the other uh, second part, I, I titled The Slow Implosion of Seattle, a.k.a. How Do You Solve a Problem Like Mama Leone? <laughs> so um, why don't we start off with uh, uh, Four Dead and O Enzo. Um, sorry? I, dropped, I, I, just, I just repeated what you had said. Sorry. Oh. It sounds like we're having a little tape delay here. Yeah. Sorry about that. Stupid Skype. Yep. So what does Four Dead and O Enzo mean? I couldn't get that chapter title. Four uh, Dead and Ohio. Well, there it is. Yeah. Yeah. It's well, just, what's just, that? A, what's... just a play on the song. So. Oh, it's a song? 
Yeah, it's a it's a CSNY song, I think. Uh, definitely Neil Young. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I was thinking about like uh, uh, like a Dr. Dre song, like uh, uh, "Chilling in My Benzo" up on Lorenzo or so, whatever that song is. <laughs> but I couldn't quite make it work. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's, uh, we're always uh, we're always aiming for chapter titles that are so nebulous. Good on us yeah. for that. <laughs> um, okay, so at first when we meet Enzo, I'm thinking to myself, are these French brains <laughs> that this guy's on? But he's he's like the Poirot of uh, Fillmore Graves. Right. Yeah. I mean, he's he's just uh, he's not on a brain. I saw his Twitter where sort of wondering wondering things, uh, and it's a valid assumption given uh-huh. how. Uh, how French he is, um, but no, he's uh, he's just on his own brain. I had to watch this scene four times before, because it's so entertaining that I didn't even follow what was going on. You know what I'm saying? I had to watch it four times to get all of the information because he, this guy, is just fascinating to watch. Yeah, he's something. Um, <laughs> we, we actually, uh, that's another thing I heard a bit on, uh, like, following along on Twitter was people were not quite sure if they'd missed a, a scene introducing him. And in a sense, they did because he was actually written to the pilot, or not the pilot, the, the first episode of season four uh, and <laughs> was just cut time. So that that scene had a little more of a, like, setup of who this guy is and, and the fact that he is now the, you know, Fillmore Graves uh, investigator and that uh, cases involving He's fall under his jurisdiction. Um, I mean, I don't think we really needed it. It's just fascinating the different the uh, the uh, Fillmore Graves versus the Seattle Police Department. How Fillmore Graves has their agenda, and Seattle Police Department, you know, is uh, Clive wants the truth. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's the main thing you were setting up, so I'm glad that uh, after four viewings, the scene ended. Oh, yeah, but it was just, it was such an entertaining scene. It's a compliment. That's, that's I appreciate it. And, that, you know, that actor went all out, obviously. I, his name yep. escaped John Emmett Tracy. John Emmett Tracy, there you go. Um, he, he went all out for it, uh, and I especially enjoyed the uh, the uh, impression of Robbie he does at the end. <laughs> So what is what does keep them taters for me mean? <laughs> uh, I mean yeah, keep them cold. Keep them cold. Oh yeah, frozen. Apologies uh, to all of our viewers in the UK if I if that's wrong. I, that's what Google told me. So. <laughs> I think they all though went all out on this. Uh, Roll and Malcolm just seem to be so into this episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Malcolm really, uh, really gave it his all in the, the um, in his own impersonation of what he <laughs> thinks it was going to be like. Uh, and that, uh, I don't think any of us could have been happy with what he delivered in those lines. Yeah, in my notes I said Clive wins the accent game in this scene. <laughs> yeah, I, I hope Malcolm enjoyed it. I think they all had a, had a good time. To, uh, some of that fun, you know, general fun of like this is the first time I think in a while anyway that. Um, that Clive is actually like looking forward in some way or another to, to what Liv is going to become. Yeah. And I love that Ravi, like he just states it that, you know, Liv, you're going to eat this brain and you're going to be a goon. Like it's just so mm-hmm. an obvious statement, but he, he the delivery that Raul gives it is just, uh, it was hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. The three of them together were uh, a lot of fun. To talk. And uh, being a person that listens to the 12 Beers of Christmas every year, I really appreciated the, the, all the McKenzie Brothers references in this. <laughs> oh, so. You know, I 
watched that stuff when I was younger, have not revisited uh, much of it while, like strange movies that everyone had in college sort of thing, and you'd watch it uh, for years yeah. to come on. And, um, and we actually had to, uh, we had to contact um, Dave Thomas about uh, clearing the, the rooster call, because I guess ah. we sort of trademarked, and uh, I think it actually even falls under the category of music, because it was, uh, you know, they had comedy albums in which that was uh, yeah. recurring. Uh, and so he was gracious enough to clear it, although he, he did um, have to correct my spelling. I, apparently I spelled the rooster call wrong, so he made sure, uh, which I got a big kick out of. <laughs> did you have too many coups or too many roos? <laughs> I actually spelled the roo with an L, because um, to me oh. that's how I... Uh, <laughs> he corrected my, my loo to a roo. That's my that's brush great. with iconic Canadian fame. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> Um, okay, so let's go to the locker room. I, I love we are we automatically know Liv is heavy on the goon brains already. She and, and it's you know immediately it's we hear sorry, <laughs> so she's got a bit of Canadian in her too. And uh, this is where we first uh, meet uh, our new friend Levon, played by uh, Daniel Bonjour, who I believe it was Maddie on Twitter that told me to say Bonjour, 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 Bonjour. Uh, I'm, I'm doing it terribly. Little Mermaid. Never mind. Or no, not even Little Mermaid. Beauty and the Beast. I'm an idiot. Oh, Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's more uh, Beauty than Beast, I dare say. It's a good looking. Oh yeah, I really like it. He reminds me of Kevin Richardson from the Backstreet Boys. <laughs> oh wow! Oh, I, wow, that's a date. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, I I, I, uh, I don't know if you would consider that uh, you know a point in his favor or not, but um, he is fantastic uh, and a really nice guy too. I got to meet him when I was on set briefly, and I uh, couldn't have been a nicer guy, and couldn't have been you know more sort of gracious and happy to be there. So I think uh, I think we're lucky to have a little more of him going forward. Yeah, I, we you can tell that there's just so much there, and I can't wait to see what comes of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For sure. Because especially, yeah, because just, because a lot just is um, unspoken. Right. That, that he does. Uh, agreed. Yeah, yeah there's, uh, there's some subtext there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, Liv is trying to think about how to make these guys talk. They're not talking. So we go to Fan Appreciation Day and uh, music provided by Canadian rock band Triumph. <laughs> right. <laughs> which, uh, which is great. An all Canadian soundtrack, except for the theme song in this episode. I'm not sure if uh, that uh, came across, but that was. Uh, I I picked up on that because I figure I said this must be Canadian prog rock. <laughs> that the I've song's heard called about. "All the Way." Oh, I I I really this song kind of stuck out to me, and I I started looking it up. I was like, is this from like a hockey movie? But I couldn't quite figure it. Out. I guess it was, and then I was like, oh, it's a Canadian rock band. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I remember having so one of Triumph's remember. tapes back in the day, but I don't remember their songs. I had their tape, though. <laughs> their tape. So can Rose skate? <laughs> she can. Yeah, she is, um, she's pretty good on skates, actually. Uh, we also had a, a stunt woman um, who was fantastic and I, I think has doubled for Rose in, in other situations uh, as well, but mm-hmm. happens to have uh, you know, a pretty extensive hockey-playing background. Um, so the stuff that you see where she's, uh, you know, taking sort of long strides or, or um, getting, you know, across a long stretch of ice as she's going after somebody when you see it from a distance, um, that might be the stunt double. But, you know, as you can tell, the, the up close stuff was Rose and 
a lot of those shots you don't necessarily see her feet, but she's not on a rig or anything. She's um, she's on skates for a lot of that. There was I think there was one where we had her on a rig just because it was I mean that was like a twelve or a thirteen hour day in skates on the ice. Like it wasn't uh, ideal conditions, and I think after a certain point it just got to be a bit much. But um, but for the most part she was on skates and uh, and I think looked the part as, as well as we could have hoped, which is, you know, not something you expect when you're, um, you know, reaching out to your lead from New Zealand to ask if she's ever, ice skated before. <laughs> right. you know, enthusiastic. Yeah. But, but yeah, I guess she figure skated growing up. So. This is season four. I'm convinced that Rose can do, can do anything really at this point. <laughs> yeah, I, I, would, I wouldn't argue with you. Um, <laughs> the amount of we have put her through and, and that she's delivered on is, uh, a pretty extensive list and uh, you know sort of take it for granted i think sometimes we're thinking of story ideas but especially when you get on set or even when you just see the dailies it's sort of amazing that week to week she's able to, to kind of switch on a dime it's oh, great um so you, I, I i'm assuming you were here to watch all this being filmed or some of it no we, we get uh usually about two out of the eight days of production mm-hmm. right so i was there for uh for those two days and one of them happened to be the on ice day so i was there for that mm-hmm. Uh, and then I was there for a bunch of the um, uh, Fillmore Grave stuff as well with, uh, with the ah. door. Yeah. Oh, the inside stuff or the outside stuff? The inside stuff. I didn't. Uh, I didn't make it to the public execution. So oh. I would have loved to film. I think they did a, a really, really good mm-hmm. job. Um, but I also would have loved to have met Don Lewis because of uh, you know watching a different world. Years yeah. Back. One of the sort of um, uh, actors that we've had on that I, I was a fan of. Uh, before I sort of got into this world, that would have been, I would have got a big kick out of that, but uh, it is what it is. So, and, you know, obviously fantastic job. So that was, uh, you know, that was to the, uh, to the credit of the episode. And um, it was as emotional as, as I've ever been involved with, which is, you know, it's just to see it perform with such gravity. And I'm glad you got to clear up that she's not an old lady. Yeah, well, that was the weird thing because we had envisioned before Don was cast, we'd envisioned a, a little old lady. So that is how we talked about her in the room. Uh-huh. And, you know, we're, we're ahead of uh, production by, depending on the, the day, like, you know, maybe three or four episodes in front of production in terms of the things that we're talking about. So at that point in the season, um, at the point in the season where we started discussing her, she'd not even been cast. At the point where we were discussing my episode, we hadn't, we hadn't seen her dailies or anything like that. And I didn't even know until we saw her in, in one of the previous episodes that it was uh, Don Lewis who'd been cast. So from that point, um, you know, we, we wanted to backtrack from the idea that it was no longer Estelle Getty that we were envisioning in this role, but a <laughs> young and vibrant woman. Um, yeah, we but back that up a little bit more. Uh, um, but, it, but at least we got the one line in there from, uh, from Jason Doran's yeah. character. And I think that all works with the optics theme. That, right. Uh, no, she's not really old, but the public perception is that she's an older woman. So it works well. Non-threatening in, uh, you know, against this military outfit, you know, the, the angle we were really shooting for. And I think, mm-hmm. I think that especially in there together. All right. Well, I, I definitely want to get to all that um, for sure. But I got to stick with this hockey scene, okay? Um, so so <laughs> I wanted you to, I don't know, maybe either translate or maybe say where you might have gotten some of these sayings from. <laughs> So uh, the first the first one I have is that's our friend you're chirping, <laughs> right? Uh, well, that's a pretty common uh, expression. I mean, a lot of these came from um, just living up there. You know, oh, okay. 
Um, but I did end up just to sort of refresh my memory. I ended up watching a bunch of YouTube videos where NHL players are mic'd up and ah. trash talk to them. Uh, oh, that's cool. That refreshed my memory quite a bit. Um, it was also, uh, you know, watching Goon and Slapshot and stuff like that. Uh, be back in, in the sort of mindset. Like I played hockey, but I only played five. I was about 12. So we weren't, weren't exactly into the phase where players become goons yet at that point or do a whole lot of trash talking. Um, but I also, there's a Canadian show called Letterkenny that's super popular um, that, you know, some of this stuff is uh, uh, either stealing from or paying homage to, depending on how you want to look at it. But uh, <laughs> that is where um, a lot of the lines come from. Turpin is uh, just a longstanding, uh, you know, expression meaning uh, running one's mouth. Yeah. Well, my, my, I think my favorite is, I mean, I, I tweeted it. Why don't you give your gitch a tug meat bag? <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised that I stick on it. Yeah. Um, uh, what, is, uh, what does fours mean? Fours. Uh, it's just the guy's number. Oh, okay. Uh, oh, that makes sense. Okay, so um, we move on to uh, the interrogation room because uh, Liv gets a vision and then gets checked, and then we see that Liv has lost a tooth. <laughs> <laughs> so I got to say, this is very... Um, I, I don't know, daring, I guess, to, to show your, like, female lead to be, like, have her tooth knocked out and just to establish that she's basically wearing a fake tooth for the rest of the series. <laughs> Was there any discussion about that? or I, I don't know that we're ever going to um, come back to that at any point in the series in terms of, uh, like, put out for fun. But, um, but no, I think... Uh, it's hard, it's always so hard to remember back to whose idea was what. I feel like that might have been one of Diane Wright's um, uh-huh. sort of like uh, like a clause. And we're going to do this episode. Diane had certain things that I think in her head like she had to be sort of uh, tended to, and that was one of them. Um, oh yeah, we should we should else. definitely. Oh sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say if I've got that wrong, I apologize for whatever idea it was, but uh, it just seemed like fun and, and something yeah. that you know by just pretending that we could throw a cadaver tooth in there, uh, you know, <laughs> a Band-Aid on it so we never have to acknowledge it again. And it's not like Rose goes through the rest of the series with a missing tooth. Yeah, um, yeah we should definitely acknowledge. I, I've heard Diane uh, uh, talk about doing Hockey Brain since season one. So uh, was it just yeah. this is was you, was your year basically for it? Yeah, I mean, I. I don't. I know it's been brought up in previous seasons. I know that. Uh-huh. Uh, I know that Diane's on the record is, is saying that she pitched that from the get go. Uh, we may slightly disagree on that because I was working as their assistant uh-huh. way back. I kind of remember pitching it first, but Diane, if she listens to this, uh, may murder me for saying that. <laughs> Uh, we, either way, definitely one that um, I was excited for as well since, uh, you know, since the first seeds of the idea. And we brought it up before, and I think it just, in the context of whatever, uh, you know, a given episode was supposed to be otherwise, it just didn't, it just didn't mesh. It was not something that was like, I, I don't think anyone was super resistant to it. I think it felt like something that we might get to eventually. But, uh, but I think that... Um, uh, everyone was sort of excited about it. Uh, we knew that Rose could skate a bit. And this season for all the writers seemed to be the season where we got um, a little bit, it felt like we were all getting a little bit of leeway to uh, write the episodes that we'd sort of been pushing uh-huh. for for a while. Cool. Um, so was the missing tooth uh, blacked out, digitally removed, or was she wearing like a mouthpiece? Uh, uh, 
she was, um, I think they blacked it out with whatever they use, some sort of makeup uh -huh. marker. And then, and then I think there was digital stuff done after the fact. Uh, I'm not a hundred percent sure on that. That was my understanding. Okay. Um, so, uh, the next thing that's, that was fun about this is, uh, so they have Levon in the interrogation room. And I love the, the fact that, you know, we have this old trick of them being like, oh, you know, well, it used to be like, oh, she's a psychic or, or the other one is, oh, we, we heard from somebody else about what happened here. You, you fought with uh, Gordy on the ice, but Levon reveals that he's a zombie. I just like that the whole game is kind of changed here where everybody's in the know, you know, not just a couple people, everybody's in the know. And so there's these, every once in a while there's these just awkward sequences like, Oh, you ate my friend's brain. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, that was something that we talked a lot about in the writer's room before getting into the individual episode, like just at the very beginning mm -hmm. of the reading for season four. Uh, you know, not just for that, but in general, like what's the new paradigm in, in Seattle uh, now that the cat's out of the bag. And, and I think it's a, I think it's a bit of a mixed bag. You know, I think not everything that we know is people that, you know, are see, have seen a lot of this from Liv's point of view for four years. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think all of that sort of information is something that all of Seattle is now or all the world is now privy to. But I think that, you know, it's certainly for zombies that, um, you know, that have had whole brains, as Levon says he's had. It's it's an obvious tell. Um, and then I think for the average person in Seattle, I think there's, uh, you know, there, there's probably some facts mixed with rumors and, and uh, you know, not unlike the, the actual world today in terms of how people are getting their news. So um, mm. I don't think it's like us as the audience or us as the writers, everything that we know about what it is to be a zombie is automatically known by by everyone in the world now that the secret of zombies existence is out. But I think there's certainly like some, some bleeding into the conversation of like all these room conjecture of, uh, of what's going down. Mm -hmm. Oh, and I also like, I mean, this comes into, into, into it a little later, um, with blame, but it also came into it with the, uh, season premiere, how these visions are inadmissible. I mean, they're essentially hearsay right? or what, yeah. is, what is it? Your C. Your C. That's right. <laughs> Which is great. Yeah, uh, that's, that's part of it too. So I, I hope that people are, are going to like where we where we sort of go with like that's the whole story this season, right? Is this uh, push and pull between who's actually running Seattle? Uh, mm -hmm. Will be citizens of Seattle and of the, the country or the world accept uh, what it is that Fillmore Graves, Graves has decided to do in order to protect their their kind. Mm -hmm. uh, so we get the Chinatown reference, which I like because I I love I love that movie. Um, but, but Liv doesn't, doesn't get it. <laughs> yes. That'd be quickest funny. on the update. <laughs> Especially on the goon brains. Um, I would say, but, usually, usually she is pretty, pretty sharp, but this, this brain yeah. is duller and regis. Like. Uh, -huh. but I like how Chinatown comes back again, you know, a couple times in this episode too. Um, so yeah. are you, are you a fan of that movie? Uh, I'll be honest. I, I'm definitely a fan of that movie, but that whole, um, through line was 100% Rob Thomas. Ah, Okay. Cool. It makes sense, it, and it's great. Yeah. Um, okay, so probably in his thirties uh, uh, when that came out, and uh, you know, I wasn't born yet. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> we'll just assume that. Sure. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, I, I, we also get a reference to the city's dental plan later, which I'm just surprised that they they still have one at this point. But <laughs> I guess some of the gears are still turning over there. Uh, yeah, I guess so, we gotta, the wheels of civilization move in one way or the other, and what, yep. what's more civilized than a shitty dental plant? 
Uh, we got some ketchup chips in the scene, which are delicious, by the way. I, I do love ketchup chips. Uh, well, you're ketchup one of, chips. You're one of very few Americans I've met that will at least openly admit that, so I appreciate your bravery. Oh, God. I don't even know what that is. I would dip <laughs> potato chips in ketchup, you know, if I had, like, a, a plate of potato chips. <laughs> I used to do that when I was a kid. My, my mom was uh, not a fan of it, though. <laughs> Um, so we actually get one of the most clear visions we've ever had, uh, to solve a murder. We literally see Blaine turn around and shoot the victim, which is a great way to just kind of like, uh, you know, have it, the case kind of move, move along to, okay, now let's talk to Blaine for a little while and then, you know, work in the whole mom Leone thing. So, um, yeah. Because, you know, it's not often we see that, you know, the, the, the episodes would be over so quickly if Liv just suddenly had a vision of who killed that person <laughs> in their last moments. So, well, it's funny. We, we've been joking about that since season one, like as we're sitting in the writer's room trying to figure out all the different little clues and, and different ways that we can get to the murderer that we haven't used before. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, every once in a while, someone will just be like, can't she just see it? <laughs> Do we have to think about this? Let's just have her see it. Um, <laughs> fine to do that only to uh to have it not um you know not not give the outcome that uh of, of justice being served that we we normally have mm-hmm. when we when we catch our murderers yep uh so the next thing i have here is about harm harm to table so i guess that's farm to table um so we have more we have blaine being talked to in the interrogation room uh donnie's the alibi um uh, but uh, it's just funny how how much Liv wants to beat Blaine's face in like this and throughout throughout <laughs> this, like she you know Clive tries to talk her out of like you know, like keep those gloves on you know, um, yeah. and then she kind of punches her palm and B- Blaine who has been clocked by her before looks just the slightest bit frightened. <laughs> yeah. I myself love that Blaine is the murderer. <laughs> I'm yeah. glad to see Blaine back in the interrogation room. Yeah, I, I mean, I am. It's always fun. Person who got to write those scenes, it, it is always fun to have them together. I mean, I love Blaine with his crew as well, uh, especially with Donnie. Um, but it, it's yeah, it, it, it's a really fun scene to write whenever you get to put uh, him on the opposite side of that table with them. Mm-hmm. It, it, I don't know if it's just me, but it seems like this season you guys are sort of reminding us a little bit that Blaine is actually a bad guy. I, was that intentional at all, or is it just kind of the way the story went? I don't recall us having that mission statement going in. I, I might be mm-hmm. just sitting on that, but I, I think it just came sort of organically out of the um, the, the places that, you know, the new places we'd put him with the zombie secret being out. It just, you know, we have him a little bit under Chase's thumb, and um, mm-hmm. and so I think we have him interacting with the characters uh, in a certain way in this new environment, but also, like, in the aftermath of everything that happened last season. Uh, I think it just felt natural for... Um, for Blaine to, you know, be, be back to getting his hands dirty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I was surprised that we got this flashback last week with Mama Leone, and it all tied into Blaine's, like, season one, season two, you know, the brain plan, where he was murdering runaways, and she found out that she was eating runaway brains. And uh, right. that's what kind of pushed her into doing good. Right, So yeah. It was good for her character. It was also, like, a good reminder, like, hey, this guy murdered teenagers, <laughs> Just, you know? <laughs> Uh, blat- blatant shippers. Yeah, there are there are a lot. Um, okay, so um, yeah, I love Blaine. Are we not going to address the missing tooth? Uh, 
and how he um, how He's he kind of, of evading the same questions. That's <laughs> funny. How many how many more times do I have to evade these questions? I like the what, what happened to us. We were like OGZs. <laughs> Yeah, I, I kind of like the idea that he was just, I mean, a lot of it with him, you assume, is is just, he's just trolling them, right? It's just, he'd like yeah. to push their butt. Uh-huh. But I like the idea that there is some actual, like, uh, he, he's still a little bit upset, or he still has, like, strangely hurt feelings <laughs> about the fact they, you know, they once were able to kind of work together and help each other out and, and read yeah. him almost friends. Uh, and, and now they just treat him like the murderer he is. And, and sometimes that hurts, you know? <laughs> And it was in this episode that I realized uh, when somebody actually said detergent care out loud, I was like, oh, detergent care. That's that's really funny. <laughs> Wait, yeah. I don't get it. Say, say it again. What? D- d- detergent care. Urgent care. That's like a hospital <laughs> thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I can't take credit for that. And I, uh, again, regret that I can't remember who did come up with that. But that was something from, I think, episode three or four, right? That's where it was first. Uh-huh. Sort of a, I think it was a, just shown on a sign, and I, I didn't quite. But she actually said it out loud in this episode. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so Enzo gets a beating, which was funny because yeah. he's all about, you know, running the company line and getting Blaine out of there. Right. And uh, he does say, "You will pay for this." So I'm wondering if this is gonna this is gonna lead to something. Not like you can tell us, but. <laughs> Well, you'd is, think uh, so. Tantalizing. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah. <laughs> That's the intent. <laughs> we'll see. And uh, then Blaine continues with his trolling talk. He actually goes into the Billy Joel's Anthony song lyrics, uh, which turns Liv into full-on zombie and right. uh, gives Liv another vision. Which, uh, yeah. And, of course, I mean, David Anders, I mean, you, you know, I – Another great job in this episode besides, you know, Malcolm. Um, but the whole thing where he pretends to have a vision so he can leave too. <laughs> Genius. Yeah, he's great. I, I've been on the record saying this a couple times before, and it, no disrespect to anyone else in the cast because they're all fantastic. But uh, he is the guy that I, I, I find I have the easiest time getting his voice. And, and even then when I think like, oh, this is this is so Blaine he'll do something extra with it when you're there where you're or like when you watch the dailies where you're like, Oh yeah, this guy's, you know, he's, he's adding levels to my ship, which is great. Uh-huh. Wow. Yeah. Well, let me talk about the, uh, Peyton Blaine shippers. Peyton and Blaine <laughs> are it. hot together. And you know that she does it. He, he is no good for her. He's the one that she shouldn't end up with. You want her to end up with Ravi, but he's just so he's, He's just so good, and you won't, you know, it's the it's the bad boy thing that is so yeah. hot. I get it. Plus, uh, what a singer. You know, what a piano player. Yeah. <laughs> We're counting what uh, the musical talent will do to uh, to a Peyton or a shipper. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we go back to the locker room, and uh, Daniel Bonjour uh, fulfills his shirtless clause in this episode, which is good. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yep. <laughs> you got a what? I said he got it out of the way quick in terms of, oh, his, yeah. the, you know, his uh, fact that he's on for a number of episodes throughout the remainder of the season. We got the shirtless scene done right away. <laughs> um, and then we, uh, and then Liv realizes it actually is Chinatown. So we go back to the precinct and there's other stuff going on, but I uh, just wanted to finish up this part of the episode. Um, 
so Peyton releases Blaine on Baracus's orders, and they realize there's nothing they can do about it. And I mean, you wrote this. Did did you did did Liv call Peyton Pacey or Pete <laughs> Uh, it was Pacey, I believe. Pacey? Yeah, which is a, a weird mouthful. I sort of went back and forth on, on that and wondered if uh, it was going to get rewritten for that reason. Uh-huh. But it was a running gag, you know, that she calls um, she calls Clive Babs and she calls Robbie right. Shocks. Uh, just another sort of like uh, athlete locker room thing where especially hockey players, like nobody's, nobody's usually referred to as their uh, given first name. It's always some sort of... Uh, uh, shortening or, or nicknaming based on their uh, last name, in my experience. So she starts doing that with everybody in her life. And Charles is just that weird. Um, but yeah. I, so does so I, you know, it's it was a it was a choice. What can I tell you? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I mean, uh, I enjoyed uh, the way that Clive and Peyton looked at each other. Like, <laughs> <laughs> what is going yeah. on? <laughs> and she also calls Blaine uh, Ten Ply. <laughs> Which I think is a toilet paper reference. <laughs> yeah, extremely soft toilet paper idea. <laughs> Another hockey insulter. Uh, <laughs> and then the great, the great uh, lines here. Uh, why didn't we? Why didn't you let me drop that bender like a bag of feed? And Clive says, "Because I don't know what that means." <laughs> <laughs> We even intended it in the, in the um, outlining of the episode, but I did notice watching it this time around that uh, you know Clive goes from real excited about this brain to real exasperated by, by this brain over the course of the episode. So it's back to status quo as far as uh, you know his reaction to her altered behavior by the end, mm-hmm. despite his uh, his early sort of excitement enthusiasm. Well, I kind of took it as you know it's fun to see her bash around players on the ice, but once she's like beating up people on the, in the floor of the uh, the precinct, that you know that's got to stop. It's gone <laughs> so, too far. It's too far. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, the more that lives on these brains, the, uh, the less able to turn off that switch he seems to be. So you know, he mm. he uh, he got what he wished for, and then some. Uh, okay, so we should move into the other part of the episode, which I call the slow implosion of Seattle. Seattle, uh, by the way, uh, our listener Don came up with that. I don't know if you guys called it that at all, but Seattle is pretty ingenious. I mean, you should make, you should use it. Yeah, I think we might. <laughs> oh, you might. Okay. <laughs> well, I don't. I don't remember if we do in the season, but I, I think uh, I definitely think we should steal it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I'll give you permission from Don. I'm sure you won't mind. <laughs> He's actually in our feedback later. Uh, okay, so uh, Zen and the Art of City Maintenance. Um, Peyton is settling a dispute. We had this whole bus driver situation where uh, this woman's like, he snapped at me for not having correct change. Right. <laughs> and the lawyer warns us that this is, is going to end badly. And it does. It does. Uh, that's um, actually a compliment um, warning her of that. But yeah, uh, yeah see the future. Mm-hmm. But it's stuff? like Peyton represents the government. This is the government of mm-hmm. New Seattle. Yeah, she's the the mayor's chief of staff, and this is a the city councilman is the is the man who uh, brings his constituents' complaints to her. Mm-hmm. Um, so then we go to this road trip with the major looking really annoyed and a happy go lucky Donnie riding shotgun, and somebody's in the trunk. Um, so first off, uh, did did you? I, I I'm not sure if that probably would be a part of the script how the music worked in this scene, but it was great. <laughs> when they're in the car, you mean? Yeah. 
how the music was yeah. the theme song and it worked into the theme song. Yeah, that was uh, that was sort of planned from the get go. I was really happy with how that turned out. Oh, great! Um, yeah, because you know they're driving along, and I just kept looking at my wife. I was like, "That's the song. That's the song. Like that's the actual know, song like, part of it." Yeah, so familiar. <laughs> Everybody knows that one part of the song, but I know the whole song. So, right. so whose idea was it to put Donnie and Major together? Uh, that was Rob. We, um, as I recall, anyway, we were just sort of like talking about all the individual characters, uh, where they left mm-hmm. off in the previous episode and where we want to take them this episode. And we got to major and obviously we've been doing that, uh, whole storyline so far with, you know, the kids that, uh, have just joined Fillmore Graves that were sort of, uh, left out in the cold when, uh, you know, when their parents found out they were zombies. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if he just wanted to get away from that for a bit or whatever, but he just, all of a sudden, he, he just kind of, uh, in a pause in the room, said, what is, what is a way that we can put Major and Donnie together? Um, <laughs> so I think that was the motivation, like, uh, not to give too much, you know, inside information, but it was just that idea of, like, here's two characters that we love that uh, would be fun to pair up for an episode. Is there some sort of plot reason that we can conjure that makes sense within what's going on in the rest of the show that will give us that fun? And, um, you know, I think it worked out uh, pretty well in terms of, like, integrating it into what's happening in the rest mm-hmm. of uh, the context of the show, um, you know, without without getting us totally away from his Fillmore Graves responsibilities, just getting us a sort of uh, an episode off of, you know, Captain Seattle and Jordan and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that was, it was really great. Cause you're like, how did these two end up together? And you can just imagine, you know, you're just, you're just trying to imagine what this situation is and who this is in the trunk. And you, you trusted us the audience to wait to the end to get, you know, the payoff of what the whole story is. Yeah. I appreciate that. (laughs) And also there's the added layer of the fact that this is like, you know, major looks miserable because he's with Donnie, but he's also looking pretty miserable because he probably thought his uh, kidnapping people and putting them in trunks days were over. (laughs) Yeah. So we've talked about that a lot too, how funny it is that his, his, um, sort of hobbies of comfortable circle um <laughs> the whole construction of that to your point staff was all rob as well so uh, i'm glad it i'm glad it played um and, and i i was really really happy with the um uh you know the the commitment to the weirdness of that situation from from bryce and uh, buckley i thought, they, I thought mm-hmm. their abilities really uh, justified rob's um you know idea to have them or his desire to have them in, in episode together yeah because donnie is so impulsive and dangerous and wild and uh major is so you know the opposite they're opposites yeah i I, go ahead go ahead sorry uh, I was just gonna say, I, I, and I think uh, I think Major just is annoyed as anything else uh, <laughs> at Donnie. Like even if we're stuck on this, uh, you know highly sensitive mission together, I think personality wise, he just finds Donnie uh, incredibly annoying. So having to be, you know, it's like uh, parents with kids in the car that are constantly asking, "Are we?" <laughs> That's sort of the the tone we were going at the beginning of that. <laughs> I don't know if you guys, uh, or, or if you were thinking about, I just felt like Donnie was, uh, had his like a hole meter turned up just a little bit louder this, this time, calling this, uh, woman a daffy old bat. And, um, right. even when we get to the end where he's freaking serving brains at the public execution. 
which is just like you asshole <laughs> yeah but like with major he was like pressing major's buttons like you know i'm going in here do you want a protein shake an eyebrow comb and eyebrow know, comb. Just, <laughs> like just trying to press his buttons just trying to aggravate him yeah i mean that that felt right to us um if they were stuck in a car together as annoyed as major would be and just trying to sort of grit his teeth and get through it I think Donnie would go the other way where he's like, I don't work for this guy. Like, I'm not taking his shit. Uh, So he just keeps needling him until it, you know, almost comes to a head. I'm sure he doesn't get too many road trips these days. So he's excited. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Excited to get out of the the wild city. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And, yeah, that was the other thing that we are we slowly kind of figure out by some of the information that trickles through these conversations is like, what are they doing? And then like, how did they get out of the city and how are they getting back? And you know, why is Donnie along for the ride? Because he's the guy that's going to be, he has the, you know, the people who can smuggle them in and out because as much as maybe Fillmore Graves can lift the gate for them to leave and come back, but I'm sure there's us soldiers on the other side, you know, making sure nobody slips out. Right. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, we don't have the, the means necessarily or the time in an episode to go through all of those logistics, but uh, I did right. enjoy the sort of shorthand of how they how we show them arriving back in Seattle. <laughs> yeah. um, and we also find out about the uh, Seattle solution in, in the discussion with uh, Chase and his uh, lieutenants. Are they like lieutenants or like just like his counsel or... I guess it's like the rough equivalent of the, you know, top brass at a, in a military operation or like the joint chiefs, you know, uh-huh. sort of a, uh, uh, independent contractor level scale. Yeah. And these guys like seem to be losing faith in chase and there's, like, there's, there's so much more talk back in this season than before. I just, I, you know, the chase is the guy we're introduced like, Hey, who took those max, max ranger cans and then shoots the guy. <laughs> Um, and now he seems to be just taking a lot more crap. Um, I, I'm just wondering, can, do these guys have like the authority to make Chase step down if they think he's doing a terrible job? Um, I don't know exactly how their uh, company charter works. Um, so <laughs> as far as like the authority, I, I don't know that I don't know that they have um, like a, a means to vote him out. But I mean, mm-hmm. it's a military operation, and so um, a military dictatorship in a sense. So I, I suppose the threat of a coup is always kind of there. Or, or if you compare it, like the way a you know, the way they depict a mafia or organized crime operation in, in most movies, there's there's a hierarchical structure that's almost militaristic, but at the same time, uh, somebody wants the crown, all they have to do is take it. Um, so I think there's there's that element sort of as an undercurrent of how Fillmore Graves operates, especially with everything that happened with Carrie Gold last year. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, she did sort of mention in that final showdown that there's, you know, there's more there's of more us, us in here yeah. than you know. And so I think that's, I mean, you'll see that come into play a bit going forward, but that's, I think, something that's in the back of Chase's mind throughout. Like, mm. are these people that are kind of aligning against me and, and are they still uh, operating, you know, within my, within striking distance? Well, uh, let me ask Robin something. You have seen this yeah. coming because you kept saying that Chase Graves had a lot on his shoulders, a lot of pressure. He was feeling the pressure. Did you see that in Jason Dory's performance or was it something in the script that I'd missed or what? Oh, I, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think it was a combination of the two. Um, you know, the, this, the fact that people are starving and, you know, and yeah, exactly. He's... I, I have to say, like, <laughs> that's like another acting award I want to give out for this episode because Jason Doring was really great. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
acting that pressure out. And, and just the, the contrast between um, some of these flashback scenes he has and then the interaction with Mom and Leone later. Um, yeah. Really great stuff. Yeah, I thought he did an amazing job as well. Um, and always does, but, you know, this gave him a little different uh, flavor to go on. I thought he, I thought he was actually... Yeah. And she reminds him, even you know, it feels good to save lives. So even though he does this horrible thing at the end of the episode, I just think there's 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 still a light in him, you know? <laughs> there's still... He could turn on all this at any point. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the thing that uh, we talk about sometimes, too, is, like, these are, these are, you know, the heavies, and I think a lot of people don't agree with the things that Fillmore Graves is doing, especially in terms of, like, scratching 10,000 people or uh, infecting mm-hmm. 10,000 without their permission or, uh, you know, sending Mama Leone to the guillotine. Uh, I feel like, you know, the thing that we sometimes try to remember is none of these guys asked to be turned into zombies either, uh, you know? So right. it's it's a pretty messed up situation all around that, that, uh, that this has happened to any of them, um, which is not to absolve them of any responsibility or guilt for what they've done, but it's something we try to remember sometimes when we are... Uh, you know, when we are kind of getting into the um, the moral complexities of uh, the choices they have to make. Um, so we go back with uh, Major and Donnie, and we we formally meet Sloan, although we don't know her last name yet. But uh, we were informed about uh, General Mills, which uh, great name, by the way. <laughs> History, our tradition of naming people. <laughs> yeah, and uh, so they nod off, and Sloan gets some utopium, and then overdoses herself, and uh, and they have to scratch her. Um, yeah. So we have uh, another another zombie, um, but uh, this is one that they can hold hostage in uh, New Seattle. Yeah. So General Mills doesn't do the Seattle solution. I mean that's that's a pretty pretty good strategy, pretty solid plan, I think. Yeah, for sure. I well, it it did, it did surprise me that you know it seemed in the first episode like they were, you know, there was a lot of pressure, but they seemed to be in a clear because of the human population of Seattle. But maybe maybe the scales are tipping too far to the zombie side that they don't want it to get out of control. Yeah, I think that's a. I mean, I think it's a reasonable assumption that anytime there's an existential threat um, to to the country or to the world, there are going to be sort of the ideological side of things that that uh, that just want to sort of cauterize or you know, just the the nuclear option, I guess, uh, literally, yeah. is, is the thing. There's a certain faction that they're always going to go to that first, um, and you know, it's hard. It's, Hard to kind of argue against it, really, because um, I mean, morally, it's it's all kinds of messed up. But um, in terms of uh, actually making sure that the human race survives and zombieism doesn't take over the entire planet, uh, it's a it's a reasonable thing to consider. I think mm-hmm. not in the real world. world of, no, you know, can't <laughs> at all. Yeah, um, and there's some very uh, I would have to say like uh, topical. Uh, interesting stuff that goes into this whole story about the bus crash too. How you know this is a person that was discriminated against, but he did freak out and try to kill somebody, and then somebody else put them put him down because they were carrying a gun, which is just topical all over the place. So, <laughs> kudos to <I> Zombie. <laughs> Yeah, I think um, just uh, somewhat coincidentally and, and unfortunately, there are a lot of things that uh, yeah. days that, that kind of uh, have thematic resonance or lead, lead to the zombie storyline having sort of 
thematic resonance that uh, in a perfect world, this would be a lot more fan than, than it is. I, I love it because, you know, I, it just makes you think about it, you know. But uh, um, Chase uh, calls Ravi you, which is not cool. And then luckily he's, uh, he's a good enough guy to kind of stop and take a breath and say, uh, sorry, Dr. Chakrabarty, you know, what, can I, can right. you tell me what's going on here? Which is good. Um, so this family is getting diluted brain tubes is getting worse and worse. And, uh, since this whole murder happened, uh, one of the other, I think his name's Hobbs tells Chase to, uh, it's more, it's important now to make an example out of Renegade before they get nuked. I just want to say I remember this guy from You Can't Do That on Television. What, really? Yes. As well. I, I, I mean, that show was um, produced in Ottawa, uh, which is where I grew up. And so that was like a big uh, sort of local thing, I guess. Um, and I had no recollection of him whatsoever. But somebody mentioned that on Twitter. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> uh, was he one of the kids? Pardon <laughs> what, what? what? What was that on in uh, the States? Where, how did that Nickelodeon. Oh, yeah. uh, okay. I always thought it was a pretty local thing. I, I didn't realize that it had gone outside of, of Canada, certainly. I didn't even know it had gone outside of Ontario. So I was surprised when people oh, mentioned yeah. it on. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I watched and that I all the time as a kid. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, okay, I, this is a funny little scene where Blaine is complaining about the police messing with him, and Tanner says, uh, Well, you did kill all those guys. <laughs> so, again, reminding us that uh, uh, Blaine is a, a killer. Um, and we get a GI Joe slash Destro reference and they're popping out of the crates. Hilarious. Um, and, uh, yeah, major, uh, isn't big into kidnapping, I, I would assume, but, uh, yeah, this nuclear plan kind of pushed him to it. And, um, when he finds major, or when he finds Chase drinking, um, he, without knowing, kind of gives him the advice to perhaps that he's got to do what he's got to do to make it so this, uh, you know, this population of zombies survives. Yeah. Yeah. It's a unfortunate, uh, it's unfortunate that that conversation didn't go a bit more specific so that, uh, <laughs> I don't major would have advised that had he known what he was, you know, what the subtext was. Mm-hmm. So, uh, we get to this great, um, scene where they're thawing Mama Leone and chases, you know, like holding back tears, telling her exactly what she's been charged of and what her sentence is. And she says, I'm not ready to die, <laughs> which, uh, oh, just broke my heart. And, uh, I believe we go to commercials here. And cause my notes say, what the hell is Santa Clarita diet advertising during I zombie for? <laughs> yeah. There's a big, it's a big competition between the two zombie shows. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I wondered if it was, uh, an intentional bit of cheek on the part of Netflix or, or if it was just random and coincidental. Oh, I'm, I don't know. Whenever I watch iZombie on Netflix, when I get done watching an episode, it says, would you like to watch Santa Clarita diet? So, uh, I think, that, I think they're, uh, they're playing on that, but I say take well, off I hosers. I mean, I, I don't have any, uh, I mean, I haven't seen that show. I certainly don't, uh, wish anything but good fortune to them, but there was the reason there's some animosity, I think, in the fandom is that there was that, I want to say it was in Esquire, but it was, there was some article. Yeah, Esquire. He wrote, finally a female-led zombie show. We were all like, uh, what? What? Yeah. Yeah, I, we did an episode of the podcast talking about the show and where I tore them apart about that article, too. (laughs) 
Oh yeah, but well, I, yeah. I mean, it's not. I guess it's not their fault unless the uh, no. unless they somehow uh, you know sort of push for that uh, that bit of press. But I feel like it's the. It, oh no, I was yelling at Esquire. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, so we move towards the, uh, the execution and, um, I don't know. I, you know, I see these people protesting back and forth. I see Levon. I'm thinking, oh man, this is going to be like this, like this, you know, there's a, there's a rescue going on. We're going to find out that Levon's a part of this like underground group and they're all there to rescue Mama Leone. But, um, then you went out, you, you guys went ahead and did Baylor on me. (laughs) I, I, for anybody who's listening and doesn't watch Game of Thrones, uh, I mean, it was a very – the fact that Liv makes eye contact with Mom Leone and she just kind of like shakes her head no. That, right. That's, that's, that's Ned Stark right there. That was that was amazing. It was sad but also amazing. <laughs> yeah. It, it is really sad to you know to lose that character and, and the actress who played her, uh, as I mentioned earlier, was so great. Mm-hmm. But um, – Hopefully, as sad as that was, it uh, you know propels Liv and our heroes to to kind of be heights. Yeah, because Uh, I can't wait to find out the vision that Liv got with Levon holding the camera. Like I I can only imagine what the context of that vision is. Hmm. Well, I I dare say you may find out going forward. (laughs) Very soon. Okay. Good. Also, I almost feel like the we had this like uh, uh, promotional artwork for iZombie for season three, which was like a propaganda poster um, that said "Zombies Unite" and had "Live in the Beret." And I almost right. think, wow, what a great piece of uh, promotional art that would be for this season, because it seems like she yeah. is going to be leading this rebellion, or at least kind of working this underground network. Yeah, um, that is an excellent point. <laughs> I'm just happy that uh, Liv is kind of finally back in the center of the action again because the fact that New Seattle is all zombies and we have Fillmore Gray is in charge of one thing, Seattle PD, and then there's the Coyotes, and then we have Angus and all the stuff's going on with him. Like, Liv's just been pretty much like a cog in the machine. She hasn't been a leader of any of these groups, and I like that Liv is going to be, I'm, I'm assuming, is going to be like the leader of these uh, Coyotes, so... Yeah, that's where we're headed. Um, and it, it is going to be nice to be able to put, like you said, kind of driver's seat uh, going forward where she, in some cases, been a bit of a passenger uh, lately. Yeah. Or not lately, but a uh, historic show. So, yeah, I, I think we're all pretty excited to have her kind of grab that, that hero's mantle uh, going forward. Cool. Well, um, that was a good discussion. I, I think we should get into some feedback. I'm, we're going to be keeping you here late tonight. Uh, <laughs> um, I feel bad droning on so much that I'm keeping you here. Um, oh, yeah. no. I, I enjoy I enjoy our talks. That's totally fine. <laughs> uh, um, so I wanted to uh, remind our listeners to check out the app from our friends at TV Time. If you want to join a global community of TV watchers where our podcast, among others, is currently streaming, download the TV Time app today. Go to tvtime.com for more details. And thank you to everybody who's uh, listening to our podcast through that app. Um, Steph, did you want to read some feedback from uh, the TV Time community about this episode? I get to read TV Time quotes. Civil War says, Major, WTF is wrong with you. What does that mean? What? Oh, probably because Major wouldn't look like it was hard for him to look live in the eye after Mama Leone was executed. Right. Yeah, he just stood there. BB2 uh, that's not what that says. JB211 says, 
These people are making me cuss. <laughs> <laughs> JB211 says, Donnie is such a dick. You have to love him. <laughs> Gina says, the last scene was so sad. That moment with Liv screaming at Major, goosebumps. Sarah says, I have a new ship. How cute would Levon be with Liv? Chase, though, I think I still think he's a great man and that Liv and him would have been good together, too. I'm a guy. I'm, now I'm torn apart between a uh, new hot guy and Chase who has a golden heart. Seeing him almost crying for Renegade made me emotional. Ruda says, I feel so sad for Chase. He is in a very difficult position trying to build a new world with no... No dogs? Sorry, the podcasting puppy is going nuts. Ruda says, I feel so sad for Chase. He's in a very difficult position trying to build a new world with no precedent, and he is bound to make some difficult decisions, but he feels that he uh, does it for the community. He's such a good person. Hope to see more of him. Also, amazing actor. So much emotion in his eyes. True. Okay, let me do uh, our email. Steph, do you want to hit mute for a moment? (laughs) Okay. Uh, all right. And, and Bob, if you want to interrupt and, and talk back to anybody, I mean, I, I, I'll be happy to uh, pause uh, reading for you. Um, uh, Maddie wrote in and she says, hello, Robin and Steph. User lives more from Twitter here. What a roller coaster of emotions this episode was. Live on hockey goon brain was probably the cutest brain she has been on. I couldn't help but laugh at all her antics this episode and how Clive seems so proud of her despite her hot-blooded behavior. I was definitely cheering for her when she gave that Fillmore Graves guy a lesson. (laughs) There was a huge complaint by many fans about Liv not getting enough development or attention in her own show and being purposeless, so seeing her take on Renegade's calling just fits perfectly for her story. See, they were working towards something, Maddie. Um... Now that Fillmore Graves is taking the fun out of being a zombie, Liv is going to be New Seattle's savior. Um, Very excited that we're seeing Peyton more involved in New Seattle, even though that kind of makes me worried for her safety. The fact that she's clearly on team Why Can't We Be Friends makes me feel so proud of her. I'm glad the writers saw the mistake they made last year with having her just be a part of a love triangle. (laughs) And looking at the next episode synopsis, it seems we'll be getting more of her story, which is more than I could ask for. Uh, she continues, now on to not so good news. Major seems to be getting himself into deep trouble. I hope the writers explain what he is gaining from being part of Fillmore Grace because he looks quite miserable doing their tasks. Hmm. I, I, yeah. I, first of all, um, Maddie has a lot of criticisms of uh, a zombie. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, I, uh, I think Major's arc has been the, the most interesting uh, over the course of the four seasons so far. Um, and that doesn't mean that uh, you're always going to root for him. Um, it doesn't mean you're always going to agree with his choices. Uh, I think he has been, you know, he, he went from, I guess, in the backstory of his character, from being this kind of like all-American Boy Scout guy to just having like every single piece of his identity ripped away one by one. And now he's in this position of like, where do I fit in? Mm-hmm. Uh, he felt like at the end of season three that uh, the place that he fit in best was that Fillmore Gray. Uh, and now we're seeing, you know, some of the consequences of that decision. Um, and throughout the remainder of the season, that's a, you know, big component of what he'll be wrestling with and trying to reconcile. Uh, and I obviously I can't give anything away, but what I will say yeah. is I think um, 
I think we leave him in a in a really really interesting cool place uh, going into season five, which thanks to the efforts of Robin and Steph and everyone else on Twitter uh, is uh, almost a guarantee. <laughs> oh man, I hope so. Uh, yeah, I, I definitely feel like Major. I mean, Major literally gave his life <laughs> to be a part of Fillmore Graves uh, at the end of last season. So I, he's you know. Um, so, okay, so it, she continues, as opposed to Blaine, who seems to be having the time of his life now that he's free to do whatever he wants, I'm hoping that Major has some ulterior motives. He has been a complex character since the beginning of the show, and I want to believe there's more than what meets the eye. Also, speaking of Fillmore Graves, where's Justin? I miss our zombie DJ. You want to uh, say where Justin is? <laughs> There's nothing to say. I think that um, you know things ended with them in a in a pretty disastrous way last year with him yeah. and Liv, um, and so uh, you know he's still part of Fillmore Graves. I think that uh, they sort of mutually decided that maybe they should, uh, cross paths um, at least for now. It's not to say they never will again, but it's not mm-hmm. it's not to say they definitely will again either. So, there you go. Uh, I remember Raul comparing Major and Liv's relationship this season to that of Professor X and Magneto's relationship from X-Men, and I can see why. They have different perspectives and have chosen how to approach this new world with opposing political views. Two close friends that Destiny wants to keep apart. It is a new approach to their relationship drama. Since we've seen that above everything, and as we saw in the last episode, they genuinely care about each other. Chase seems to be like the anti-Von Duclark. He wanted the best for both sides, but things just got out of his hands. Now he has to deal with the consequences of his actions, even if he doesn't want to. We feel for him because we see him struggle, but at the same time, we can't forgive him because he crossed the line. Not enough Ravi in this episode, though. That would be my only complaint. <laughs> uh, Levon... Oh, sorry. <laughs> I said I was would... fine with the amount of... Yeah. <laughs> Levon seems like a decent guy, and the fact that he's a part of Mom Leone's crew is enough to keep me interested. Team Livon, I guess? <laughs> <laughs> that is what they're calling me. Yeah. As always, thank you for being one of the best podcasts in the world, and keep up the good work. Oh, thank you. Um, <laughs> Who wrote that? That was, uh, that was Maddie. That was Liv's Moore. She's actually in the chat room, I believe. <laughs> Maddie wrote uh, like a, a full novel on the yeah. season. And- <laughs> That's great. Um, and I, you know, I think uh, I think maybe I was a little harsh on her before because she she turned it around in her um, impressions of what Major's going through, and I think she gets it. Um, yeah. And just to be clear, uh, I <laughs> my little jab at Raul is well deserved, um, but also oh, yeah? uh, you know, there's just so many characters to service and storylines to service on this show that you know we have to try and balance as best we can uh, how much screen time is given to to each character and each story on a given episode. But I know there. Are a ton of Robbie fans out there, as there should be. Um, you know, he's obviously such a, a key part of Liv's life and a key part of the success of the show. So I think those fans will be rewarded um, as the season goes on a fair bit. Um, there's a lot yeah. more Robbie to come. And next episode, especially, uh, is going to have Robbie in a place that we've never seen him before. And Raul does some, some pretty great work in, uh, in that episode, as he always does. <laughs> great. Uh, do you want to yeah. read Don's? Oh, sorry. Okay, yes. Don. Oh, sorry. <laughs> No, go ahead. Stupid Skype. Sorry about that. Don has three questions for Bob. Number one. So it appears appears cold by itself is not enough to trigger the condition. Maintain it, yes, but cause it, no. I'm assuming the hibernation? 
The only cause I can recall was a massive shot of fentanyl. I could see Chase wanting to keep the outside authorities ignorant of a potential zombie. With major. major. Oh, a, a potential zombie with major. Donnie and General Mills' daughter were shipped into Seattle in iced containers that were kept cold enough to keep the ice from melting. They were not wearing special suits to protect them from going into hibernation and came through the process easily. Uh, Weakness, but it does not appear there is one that makes his reluctance to freeze even more puzzling. So why? Okay, I understand this. Why didn't Why didn't Donnie Sloan and Major go into into zombie hibernation in the ice packed with brains? They weren't in it very long. They just crossed yeah, the border. I mean, you know, they, it's not they were they weren't put on ice. And it's not a. I mean, it's not hibernation per se. Um, I mean, it's not uh, the zombies. I'm assuming he's referring to the zombies that are in prison in Fillmore Graves, um, they're just frozen in the way that Major's kidnapping victims were frozen and could be unfrozen because they're zombies, so they have sort of recuperative powers uh, under those circumstances that normal humans wouldn't. Um, It's not like they're making a choice to shut their system down. They're just being frozen and then unfrozen. And at least in our imagination, um, you know, Major, Donnie, and Sloan, they weren't fully packed in ice. They were under uh, some stuff that had ice in it. Um, and even then, it's like you said, Steph, it, you know, it was a much shorter time. And it's just ice cubes. It's not like they're in a uh, like a vacuum sealed room that's kept at a certain temperature, which I assume is, is uh, you know, like a deep freeze sort of thing. Just being on ice, uh, I guess, in our minds and <laughs> maybe... Maybe we have the science way wrong on this, which wouldn't be the first time. But I think that's the idea. They, you know, they just weren't cold enough to be frozen. Right. Back in. Okay, number two. Is it possible one of Blaine's old gang from season one only was uh, scratching scratching a few people and either pilfering brains from Blaine or getting some of the same sources, street kids, and running their own? 25000 a month brain plan. Julian would be my guess. This is what the two gym rats should have done instead of trying J- Jackie, in my opinion. Right. Yeah, that's what I was, that question was just reminding me of, was those two guys that tried to sort of steal Blaine's clients out from under him for a, a reduced rate. Um, and he dealt with them rather swiftly, as I recall. Uh, mm-hmm. Julian um, is dead. Uh, he was blown up by Major in the meat cute. Um, so I'm not sure if the question is referring to like, is there still a possibility that that, uh, that side operation is going on now, or if he just met only in season one, but, but Julian's, uh, he's dead. Um, so I guess anything's possible. There could be, there always could be another, uh, element that we, uh, decide to explore story-wise as long as we haven't expressly eliminated it already. But, um, Mm -hmm. to my knowledge, that is not something we have discussed. Okay, here's Don's third question. The cure in Fillmore Graves. They seem to have never shown how much they seem to have never shown much interest in it, even though its existence has been blatantly obvious. Is this deliberate? And if so, why? I don't know how much of that uh, I can answer. <laughs> uh, okay. I mean, I do think there's an element um, in Fillmore Graves and amongst 
some of the zombie population in general uh, of like, well, this is who we are. It's again, like um, the quote that you had from Raul about uh, Major and Liv being Magneto and Professor X is something we've talked about in the room a fair bit. And it's similar to the, you know, the mutants in the storylines from those movies and that comic series where, where a cure is available. Some of them want nothing more than to be uh, unmutantized and to be, you know, quote unquote normal, whereas some of them think this is who I am. Uh, and it's no one else's right to take that identity identity away from me. Um, so that's part of the element I think of, especially the you know Fillmore Graves is, has um, uh, I guess had a lot of success in a, in a manner of speaking uh, since they've become zombies, both before and after the um, you know the the turning of ten thousand of Seattle citizens into zombies. So maybe they feel like that is a source of their power and they don't want to give it up um anything beyond that i feel like i'd be getting into into plot spoilers and i uh right i, I don't, don't want to tip our hands so great question yeah i'm not even sure if anybody has film work i mean i mean i i'm i mean justin i think was the only film graves i know knew about a cure but besides that oh well then again chase knew that major had been turned back to human so I guess they do know, but yeah, they haven't, they haven't asked much about it, but maybe we'll find out in the future. I don't know. <laughs> uh, all right. So let me go to Facebook comments here. Um, Amy says this episode was so full of fun with Liv. This brain was brilliant. Liv couldn't stop fighting with anyone. Clive was so funny with his answer to that woman, the blonde one. Great answer. <laughs> LOL. I thought for a second Liv was going to kill Blaine and then eat his brains. He deserves it more than anyone. Major and Donnie driving person in the trunk and I'm already dead on the radio had me rolling. Chase and his plan wasn't really evil. It was brilliant. Best way to get brains, turn one person whose dad can get to them. Well, thank you, Amy. <laughs> Michael says, uh, th- oh, I'm sorry, Bob, did you want to respond? I was just cheering for that comment and for um, the continued use of the word brilliant uh, about an episode. <laughs> I mean, it really was brilliant. It was a lot of fun, and it just it just just sang. It just sang. Well, that's very nice to hear, and I, I don't mean to imply that I deserve any more than uh, let's say ten to fifteen percent credit for it. But uh, you know, it's it's always fun when, especially it's a, a general idea that we've we've kind of been pushing for a while, and to see it work out the way you hoped it would, and to see um, you know a, a positive fan reaction to it is uh, you know is pretty heartening. So how does it work? You're in the writer's room and you're given all of, you know, just like um, put Donnie and Major together and you're given like the major plot points and then you take that and just write the episode? Um, I wish I could say that uh, that's all we're given and the rest is, is me. But no, we, we I mean, I don't really wish that because every episode is sort of a collective thing. So I get to participate in, in other people's episodes as much as they do in mine. But it's obviously all at the sort of discretion of Rob and, and Diane. Um, but we, we're given, the individual writers are given a pretty detailed outline. Sometimes we even have, um, you know, like verbatim lines or exchanges or jokes or whatever in mm-hmm. the, the kind of collective breaking process. Uh, where we're coming up with the, you know, the beats of the story, it can, it can get that in depth. Um, and so, the, you know, then when you're sent off to write it, 
you are filling in some blanks for sure and doing some kind of creative work on your own, but the, the map that you have is pretty extensive. Uh, and then even after that, especially for the lower level writers like myself, I mean, there's going to be some rewriting by, again, usually Rob and Diane. Um, so, I mean, I, I, love to, uh, I love to take as much credit as I can, but the truth of the matter is that um, you know, every episode is going to have a little bit of stuff that came from me creatively. Um, mm-hmm. And the episodes I write is going to have a lot from other people. So it is a pretty collaborative thing. And, and that's just the writing, right? Like once you have the script, um, there's so much more that can enhance it in the production stage, both from the, like the crew up in Vancouver and the director and of course the cast uh, as well as, you know, in a way as much creative input as we do, because they're the ones that are actually making making it sing, as you say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Robin and I are watching Smallville for our other podcast, and we're, we just finished the Rider Strike season, and it's so <laughs> obvious. Like, there's no personality in that season. It's it's so obvious that they needed more time to to give to give the scripts more personality. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I think the, there were a lot of casualties. A lot of shows were casualties of that strike, uh, as I recall. Um, so I'm glad we avoided one this time around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Robin, where are we? <laughs> we're on Michael. Okay. Michael says, this is my favorite episode of the season. I really liked watching Liv interact on Hockey Brain. She was a little dim and constantly wanted to fight, but I could still see Liv inside. She wasn't such a jerk. The story was great, and I can't wait to see what happens next in New Seattle. On a somewhat related note, Seattle actually has a major, has a minor league hockey team, the Seattle Thunderbirds. They play their games in Kent, about 15 miles south of the city. I wish I, I, I could... I could I could wish they'd use I wish they could use the actual team, but they probably don't want to worry about rights or permission to show the uniforms and logos. I would guess that's correct. That's not my department, but we, um, whenever we're having any sort of like product or, or team or anything like that, uh, an equivalent of which might exist in the real world, we tend to spend a bit of time making up our own. Sometimes it's just for fun, like the truth and care. Um, but sometimes it's, it's, uh, just because of the hassle, uh, of getting the rights and paying for permission. Again, like, you can use Robin and Steph all you want. I'm just saying, uh, yeah. we could just be corpses. Steph could be a respiratory therapist, and mm-hmm. and then they could say like, "Oh, Steph, you're you're such a great respiratory therapist. You're doing such a great job." I, I could be the good. guy that gets Chuck Bird his coffee, you know. <laughs> now there's a guy we should bring back. Um, yeah, and I think I think we should get some some voice work from you guys at some point. Oh, I oh my please. God. <laughs> oh my god! I I, huh? I don't see that as anyone who has any power or authority to make that happen. <laughs> Uh, no, 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 no. We, we got we got it from one of the writers that I saw. They want voice work from us. We will send in our tapes immediately. Would you like us to start reading like erotic critic, uh, literature, like uh, Kristen Bell did? Or yeah. every episode, we should just have like for no reason, with no context given whatsoever, in the background is you guys reading erotic fiction. <laughs> Although did you I, hear me blush through the speaker. <laughs> They had a great way of uh, bringing in. Uh, I mean, we did have uh, Raul listening to a podcast, but it was a Star Wars podcast in uh, season two, I think. <laughs> so, right. yeah. Um, anyway, we should, we should uh, get this feedback going through. Um, <clears throat> Dave says, "Such a mixed episode of fun and wow." <laughs> so, 
it, it starts off like mixed. No, it's fun and wow. Okay. Number one, as a hockey fan, I love this episode in old school hockey goons. It reminds you of all the careers that would not be able to continue. Live wanting to beat up everyone is just amusing. Uh, two, Donnie and Major Road Trip was just a riot, a pretty clever way to get them in and out of the city. So what was the original plan with her? Seems a pretty good solution, though keeping her there as a deterrent. Um, I suppose the uh, original plan was just keeping her as a human, right? That's right, yeah. Yeah, the, you know, yeah. turning her into a zombie was an unfortunate um, uh, you know, way that they had to overcome that particular obstacle. Uh, but she was always going to be a hostage. Um, she was just going to be a non-zombie hostage until they had to make that choice. And I'm assuming that this. Oh, sorry. Go I, I foresee a lot of uh, scenes with Sloane and Donna E in the future. <laughs> well, they had such chemistry when they, you know, she punched him in the face, and then he yeah. tried to lunge at her. I think they um, they worked great together and did a, both did a great job. Uh, I don't want to promise that you'll see much more of them together, at least not uh, anytime soon. Okay. <laughs> Um, okay. Number three, I like that they are talking about the rest of the country's ideas about what to do with Seattle. Uh, number four, Chase is clearly a very conflicted person. He's under a lot of stress trying to make this work. Number five, I hate seeing Blaine getting away with stuff as much as we love him as a character. It will be great to see him finally get punished. So, hmm. Uh, number six, Liv's got a new cause. Seeing Mama Leone was shocking, and Liv and Major have never been further apart. Fascinating new angle for Liv to get involved in. And uh, number seven, <laughs> the Frenchie. Where did he come from? Not a big fan. <laughs> Ouch. Uh, I mean, yes, okay. As a person, he was insufferable. But as a character on a television show and an actor, he was amazing. Yeah, he's hilarious. <laughs> well, yeah, uh, okay. that's where that's the position from which I'm going to choose to operate as well. I think he was. Yeah. Uh, he says, "Can't wait till next episode, even if it takes an extra week." Dave. All right. Yeah. So, yeah, Bob, what's up with this one week hiatus? Uh, I don't know. I don't know if they're. Um, I don't know what's on tonight instead of us. But I wondered if it was just to avoid the ratings juggernaut of the uh, NCAA basketball championship. But I don't know. If CW really cares that much about that sort of competition. It feels like mm -hmm. a demo. But uh, that that was the only guess I came up with. But like, I'm not privy to any of the schedule, uh, you know, strategies or discussions or anything like that. So. I hope that we're continuous from next week forward. Um, I'm pretty sure we are. You, you are, rather. Yeah. Uh, it, I, I, the, the CW announced the finale date, and uh, I counted it out, and it seemed like they were just missing one week, and this was it. Because so. Robin is anal like that. <laughs> <laughs> Nikki says, was anyone else confused by the sudden arrival of an over-the-top French inspector? It's like a Pink Panther crossover. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't confused. It was delightful. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I think I was confused. Like, what? Oh, all right. Okay. We're doing this. This is hilarious. <laughs> I, like I said, originally we had him introduced in the very first episode and that got cut for time. And so maybe yeah. it could have been more uh, of a proper introduction made. But, uh, you know, in in the context of uh, everything that's going on in zombified Seattle, I think uh, I think we can classify that as a bit of a nitpick. Right. Yeah. Um, and uh, Darren says, something I was just thinking about. Tanner was told by loose-lipped Blaine that he was overworked and underpaid. 
With his past relationship with Clive as a CI and with Major as his social worker at Helton Shelter, could he possibly work to limit Blaine in the future? And did he overhear about the cure? Also, are they going to have to do it? Are they going to have to do another Seahawks superfan episode now that Richard Sherman is a Niner? Also, are we ever going to hear anything about Mr. Boss? <laughs> uh, I feel like I'd rather not comment on some of that. Um, yeah. I'd also want to say that's that might be more than anyone has ever thought about Tanner. Uh, and Tanner. <laughs> That he has such a, I mean, Tanner's got relationships in, uh, in some ways with more characters than some of our main cast, uh, at least yeah. in terms of their histories and their backstories. Uh, all good questions. Um, I don't know that Tanner, to this point, has the wherewithal to, to pull any sort of moves, any upwardly mobile moves within Brain, Blaine's uh, criminal enterprise. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but I, that's probably as much as I, I mean. There is some there is some stuff coming up that uh, that will address some of those questions. Is maybe all I'll, I'll say about that. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. And uh, up next, we actually have a voicemail from Jen. Hey Robin, hey Steph, it's Jen just calling with some feedback about Goon. I figured I had to send something in since I'm Canadian and this was chock full of Canadiana. Um, except for the French inspector, I'm not really sure where he came from or why we're supposed to care about him, but both his French speaking English and speaking French accents were not so great. Um, I love the shout out to Bob and Doug McKenzie. It's actually funnier to me that Clive puts on a Canadian accent since so many people in the show already have super Canadian accents anyways, like the guy who was in Peyton's office at the beginning warning her um, that there was going to be problems with the zombie driver and the gas station attendant in this episode alone just had super Canadian accents, but that's fine. And I did love the, um, you know, shout out to Hosers, Bob and Doug, and hopefully everybody has watched those skits and understands just the, the pure fun and um, just, you know, entertainment of old SCTV skits. Um, I really love that Liv ate poutine brains. Um, poutine is, of course, delicious. Highly recommend it. Terrible for you, but just oh so delicious with uh, cheese curds and gravy and french fries. Um, also love the ketchup chips, and I'll make sure to throw some of those in next time I send you guys your coffee crisps. Um, live on the hockey brain was great. I mean... I don't know really if everywhere hockey is part of the Canadian experience, but it certainly was for us growing up. That's what, you know, my high school was good at hockey. We didn't go to football games or basketball games. We went to hockey games and we sat in those rinks and, you know, we go to minor league games. We go to NHL games. Um, so definitely part of my Canadian experience. So it was great that, um, you know, having live on the ice was super fun to watch and she was she was definitely a goon so that was good um so you know this brain was fun again you know she's sort of going full tilt on the brain but it did seem a little bit more reserved and more like previous seasons this year so that or this week sorry so that was great um i did love blaine in the interrogation room with the ogz's um and faking his vision you know it's I like seeing him as manipulative, fun Blaine. I like him as a villain, so that's great. Um, the Fillmore Grays road trips 
stuff or having major be on the road trip. I'm not really sure if why, like if it was joint between Blaine and Fillmore Graves, if they were like, I'm sort of confused on that. Was getting brains and getting the girl two parts of the same plan. I know it wasn't a plan to turn her into a zombie, but was it always their plan to get Sloan and then hold her as leverage against General Mills? Also, here's a question for um, Bob Dearden. Who decided to name the General General Mills? Because that is not a scary name to me. I'm just wondering if he's going to nuke the city with cereal. Like, General Mills is going to send Cheerios to you? I don't know. Maybe just me. But every time they said the name, I just think of Cheerios. Um, but um, otherwise, uh, you know, I'm just really kind of confused on what that whole plan was. Was it to get Sloan? Was it to get the extra brains from Haiti? Side note, her ex French accent was excellent when she was speaking French, although that's not how French from Haiti sounds. But um, yeah, her French accent was great. Um, other than that, um, the only other thing, and this is a deep, deep, we don't want to wait reference for you, Robin. It was that it was great that you see Adam from You Can't Do That on Television pop up in Fillmore Grays. Also good Canadiana um, content because You Can't Do That on Television was produced, I think, here in Ottawa. And I used to watch him every day. And he played Joe Schuster, um, the creator of Superman in a Heritage Minute that I probably watched 80 bajillion times growing up. And um, so, you know, that's tying in Superman for you, Robin, as well as iZombie and Canadian culture all in one. So good shout outs and good Canadian culture there. Um, you know, overall, this was a really fun episode. Um, also, I think the ending was truly shocking and kind of needed to help push the characters forward. I'm excited to see where it goes. Major's being pushed further away from the core group, further away from Liv with his um, association to Fillmore Grays now that they've carried this out. And then... Um, you know, also it's pushing live together with Levon. We know that uh, Levon is coming, hashtag Levon, um, which is a really fun uh, shipper name, I guess, um, to take over the coyote business. How is she going to hide that or not hide that from Clive? So that opens up a lot of possibilities. Plus, Chase is being further pushed into, I guess, becoming someone he never wanted to be or have dealing with these responsibilities that he didn't want for Fillmore Graves. Um, so I'm excited to see where that goes. I'm excited for your live podcast and um, just excited to hear you guys continue talking about iZombies. So thanks again and have a great week. So I guess that's it for feedback. And um, we want to say what's on next time. Um, and this is where I play the trailer. Monday, April 9th. What have you got there? My greatest role. A death in New Seattle's underground theater. This show must go on. Gives Liv new inspiration. You ready for the sexual harassment seminar? I like your lips. The shape they make when you say no. Hey, you stop touching me. I Zombie, all new Monday, April 9th on the CW. And he, Rachel okay. Bloom, yay! Yes, yeah. my really fair lady, April 9th. Rachel Bloom guest stars Liv and Clive investigate the murder of a pretentious theater actor. Meanwhile, Ravi makes a huge sacrifice for Peyton. Lastly, Blaine makes a startling discovery. And uh, Tessa Blake directing, uh, Graham Norris writing. Yeah, uh, that is going to be a fun one that I think. Uh, 
uh, I think our fans are really going to enjoy. Uh, Rachel Bloom is, as you'd expect, uh, excellent and hilarious in her role. And um, the the journey that the, this particular case sends live on, um, both just specifically in terms of the brain and the personality that she inhabits, and in terms of um, you know the sort of fallout from her declaration at the end of the previous episode to take over the you know coyote operation from Mama Leone. Um, I think it's a really exciting, uh, fun, funny, um, intense adventure that uh, you know just sort of is, is the launch pad for the back half of the season in terms of. Uh, you know, in terms of what Liv's going to be up to. So you definitely don't want to miss this one, folks. Mm. Cool. All right. I'm looking forward to it. Um, I definitely want to uh, thank you so much, Bob, for uh, coming by. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. Always fun. <laughs> I, I see now that it's been like over an hour and a half, and I feel like that is my fault. So if I if I made this one over, <laughs> It is not your fault. It's Robin's fault. All it's right. my fault. I write too many notes. <laughs> Steph! What? What do you want? You fell asleep while I was talking again. Oh, sorry. That keeps happening, doesn't it? No worries. Where's Bob? It wasn't my turn to watch him. We were just talking to him. Find him. Oh, no. It looks like he took a ride on the poutine boat. All those calories must have done him in. Oh, God. And he's covered in blood. Those are ketchup chips. Oh, well, we can't send him back to the iZombie writer's room like this. Scratch him. I guess we have no choice. Scratch. <laughs> He's returned from the dead. Are you good? Are you back with us? Brains? You want brains? Back bacon. <laughs> you heard the man getting some back bacon. Okay. Thank you for listening to the iZombie Podcast with Robin and Steph. Send your feedback to iZombiePodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter and on Facebook. Just search for iZombie Podcast, all one word. All of our contact info is on our website, iZombiePodcast.com. You can follow Steph on Twitter at Steph Smith. You can follow Robin as well at El Robinero. Our podcast logo is designed by D. Sheehan. You can find her work at Behance.net slash Deanna Sheehan. Also, friend of the show Cheyenne contributes with Photoshops on our Twitter. Follow her at I. Zombie Love. Check out our other podcast. You can listen to us binge cast through teen dramas like Dawson's Creek and Popular. Just subscribe to We Don't Want to Wait on iTunes. You can also listen to us occasionally talk about the Buffy spinoff Angel with our friends. Subscribe to Redemption Cast on iTunes. While you're on iTunes, why not leave us a review? We do this in our spare time so your ratings and reviews are much appreciated and helps us get seen by more iZombie fans. And make sure it's on the correct feed. We are the iZombie Podcast with Robin and Steph. And we're done. You think anyone is still listening? Probably not. Zombies! Zombies!